what have I done? Because I'd gone from living in this luxury apartment in New York City, planning my dream destination wedding and like having all of these friends flying in from all over the country. Next thing I'm living in my childhood bedroom. Whenever you put somebody else on a pedestal, so you're saying your mom has all of the opinions or all of the right answers or this guy, if he loves you, then you're lovable. If your friend invites you to the disco on Saturday night, then you must be a good friend or cool enough. Like every time we make somebody else's actions or decisions higher than our own, or if they do something, then we are, we put somebody above ourselves. Where are you now? You're in Portugal? I am currently in Portugal. Yeah, I'm in the Algarve in the south of Portugal. It's kind of like my second home because my parents live here. So it's nice to be back and I have the house to myself. So it's really beautiful. Amazing. Okay, so let's get into it. You are a breathwork instructor and a codependency coach. Yes, I am. And breath work, for people who don't know what it is, is the most amazing intent. Like, I always find it quite intense. I've done, so your, I've been to one of your sessions and then another one, and both of them were, like, crazy stuff happened to it during it. Because I feel like when you when you say breath work, people just think, okay, you're, it's like meditation or you're just breathing or it's like, super basic it's like why would you have to go to a class to do that but when you do it especially the one you ran it's like so powerful emotions come up like you process things like I I feel like there's like tears there's maybe like laughter there's it's like (laughs) it I don't know how to describe it like how do you usually describe it to people it's so much yeah I you know, there's so many different types of breath work, which is why so many people think that, oh, it's just like taking a deep breath and a big exhale, which is technically breath work as well. The type of breath work that I teach is called somatic release, which is the session that you came to. And so what we're doing is we're using a specific breath pattern to amplify a different state of being in your body. So just like when you're really stressed or you're really anxious, you should learn to slow down your breath and do those big inhales, long exhales and feel the relief from that. You can also use your breath to cultivate different sets of being. So at the beginning of these sessions, we well, obviously we like drop in and we set an intention, but the first part of the class is all about releasing. And in order to release, we have to go into the subconscious mind. We have to go back into the feeling that maybe we never got to fully feel all the way through. Um, we get to go back to beliefs that have been ingrained in us that are no longer of service. And so we really get to connect to all of these things by using a certain breath pattern, which is um, putting you, the specific breath pattern that we use for that is putting you into a state of fight or flight. So you're actually choosing to go into that um, heightened nervous system where we do get into a little bit of panic, but we're doing it in such a safe environment that we get to use that and we get to trust our body and we get to lean into our bodies and we get to see what comes up in those spaces. And like you said, these emotions come up, sometimes there's anger, sometimes there's sadness, sometimes there's grief, sometimes there's laughter and joy and pleasure and sometimes people experience like sexual trauma, like come up, there's just 
you can't predict what you're going to experience in any given session. It's always so different. And so with that, you've just got to kind of come into the session with this open mind of, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm here to experience and I'm here to trust that what's meant to come up will come up. And that's exactly what's needed at this moment for myself. And I'm going to trust my breath in that. Um, and so, yeah, so breath, using your breath in certain different patterns and rhythms and amplifying it or slowing it down activates our nervous system into different states of being. And so that's why it's so powerful because there's not many times when you're, you know, on purpose putting yourself into a state of fight or flight to get consciousness around what you've been avoiding and actually facing those things. Amazing. And then what does codependency coaching entail for people who are not familiar? Yeah, well, that's really hard to put into words because everybody's codependency looks so different depending on your upbringing, depending on what you've experienced in your childhood and what you're playing out as you've grown up, as you're in your adulthood now. Um, so every client sessions look different, but what I work with a lot on is dating. A lot of women will come to me who are repeating old cycles of people pleasing and attachment and anxiety and just really living out this stress of needing something and forcing something kind of been in denial about the current situation and not seeing things clearly because there's such a force for I want to be in a relationship I want to have this and let me just pretend that anything that's wrong with this isn't there so that I can create that or I can force something to be something that it isn't and so inside of codependency coaching, depending on whether we're working with dating, relating, family dynamics, um, personal conflicts, could be around food, could be around work. We're really just getting back to the core of what you're doing that is neglecting yourself in the hub of trying to manage and manipulate everybody else's judgment or behavior or perspective about you or their own life so it's hard to put into words what happens in codependency coaching just because the range of it can be so broad um, but really what the ultimate goal is is to help people come back into connection with themselves back into strength with themselves so that they can speak their truth so that they can embody their truth so that they can cultivate relationships that are healthy and they're not getting lost in these different dynamics that are going on. Mm -hmm. And how do you usually define codependency for someone who's never heard that term? I'm just thinking if like my mm. dad happens to be listening to this podcast, he'll have no idea what it is. But I am very familiar with what it is. Yes. Um, so codependency in modern language, what you might have heard, like people pleasing is all codependency. Um, boundary setting is a part of understanding and becoming better with your codependency but codependency is any time that you lose yourself in a relationship dynamic so if you're having unhealthy relationships where you neglect yourself that's codependency so I'll give you a clear example um, if you lie about anything in order for you to look good to another person 
that's codependent. If you give up all of the healthy things that you do for yourself to make sure that somebody else likes you or is interested in you, that's codependency. If you live in denial about somebody else's interest in you, that's codependency. Codependency can also look like accepting sex when you really want love. So that's codependency. Basically, it's whenever you're using somebody else to fill a void with inside of yourself. So like, again, it can just, it's so broad, the theme of codependency, but ultimately it's about looking at your relationship dynamics that you're having with other people and seeing where you're not being fully honest, where you're not being fully authentic, and where maybe you're trying to control somebody else in your behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I'm super excited to get more into that, but let's talk about your story, um, starting with how you grew up. But I guess I'm, yeah, I'm super keen to learn more about it because I guess what I know from having met you and having listened to some of your podcasts is that you kind of had this massive change in your life where you were living in the US, you were engaged I think like two months away from getting married you and you were you know you kind of had this moment when you I think it was like you realized your career wasn't aligned where you were living wasn't aligned and then also the relationship wasn't aligned and you pulled this wedding off and moved countries and like started a new life almost which is a massive transition obviously but it seems like for the bet you know it seems like now you're doing the work you were meant to do and you're on the path you're meant to be on and you I'm like love your TikToks I'm so in awe of them um and it I don't know it's just like you're like radiating this energy that's like amazing but that's obviously a massive journey to go on so um yeah super interested to unpack it but let's start with how you grew up I'm sure people are already like trying to unpick where your accent's from (laughs) yeah um well thank you that's so kind I grew up in the north of England so in North Yorkshire I um there's me and my well I'm one of basically to make it easy I have five brothers (laughs) My parents got divorced when I was, I think, two or three years old. And they both met their now current partners by the time I was five. And I have one real brother and then four stepbrothers between the families. And so I grew up just kind of like, these are just all my brothers. And yeah, definitely my parents' divorce affected me way more than what I realized. And I didn't really realize that until like the past few years of going deep into my shadow and understanding and also looking at my codependency and where that comes from. And yeah, so I grew up in the north of England with a really big family. My mum's also one of three and I have lots of cousins and we're very close as a family. And to me, family is very important. I'm also a cancer sign, cancer sign and cancer rising. And so I'm just very affected by emotion and family and home and nurturing. And so that has always been important to me. 
And so, yeah, I grew up in my hometown. I stayed in my hometown until I was 16. And then I moved to the south of England. I went to dance school for three years. And that was a really big thing because none of my friends were doing that. I didn't know anybody else who was doing that. All of my friends were going to the college in my hometown. And for some reason, I decided to move like 500 miles away from my family and go to dance school, not knowing anybody. And so that, I think, was my first big kind of leap of faith. And I've been doing that kind of a lot, like, ever since, of just kind of, like, uprooting and moving and, like, taking a risk and discovering new places and new ways of being and trial and erroring things. And so I lived with a host family for, like, two years, which was really beautiful. And then I lived with friends for a year. And then I moved to London. What type of dance were you doing? Everything. So, like, we would dance all day, every day. And so we would do, like, ballet. We'd do tap. We'd do jazz. We'd do commercial dance. We'd do partner dance. Like, it was literally everything. We did singing. We did acting. We did musical theatre. It was very physical. And And you were really good at it. Actually, I wouldn't say that I was really good at it. <laughs> I think I was good, obviously, compared to like an average person. Obviously, I had dance skills and obviously I was practicing all day, every day for the for three years. So I had to be good at it. Um, but I wasn't ever really the best dancer. I definitely wasn't the best in my school. I never really, I didn't get a solo in my graduation show. I never really was put at the front that much. Um, but I was really good at acting and I was really good at musical theatre and I really loved dancing now when I look at it I understand that I love dancing because I love emoting I love expression I love like art and like feeling and I think you know sometimes we'd be in jazz class and we'd have like let's say like an Adele song for this dance routine and it's obviously emotion and you're throwing yourself around and you're actually letting yourself feel and I think so much of my life like my my upbringing was suppressed like my feeling was suppressed and so within dance it was like my opportunity to move through my body and to uh, yeah express and to feel and obviously the more that you kind of like felt the movement and felt the song and the lyrics the better the dance would become because people would enjoy that performance you know that's what performance really is is seeing somebody in an expression Mm. so I think that that's the element that I liked about it the most but unaware at the time and why do you think it was suppressed growing up was it just the that's what Yorkshire is like or was it your family or yeah I think it makes a buzz I think my I mean I don't want to stereotype my hometown but I don't think it's very it's not very like a feely feely place there's quite a lot of like northern banter which is like passive aggressive um we don't really say like oh I'm really proud of you but people do say that but like it's not very often that you praise somebody else or you celebrate somebody else it's always like kind of like a backhanded compliment and that's how you know people give love there it's I don't think they have this vulnerability to be able to say what they actually mean and I also think in my family you know I'm surrounded by boys who didn't express their emotions very much and I don't think my parents knew how to teach us to express our emotions I didn't really witness them expressing their emotions a lot and it never really was encouraged I used to get very like 
I used to, what my grandma would call a tantrum. Like I used to have these tantrums where I'd like, you know, have this massive buildup of anger and like frustration and it would just come out by, by me like hysterically crying and like throwing a fit. And in those moments, what I recognized is, or what I remember is being told to stop, like stop having a tantrum or she's throwing a fit or here she goes again. And it was never like, what do you need in this moment? Or, you know, what's this about? Or what's coming up? You know, it was just like, oh, this is so embarrassing or like sort yourself out. And, you know, I think because of that, I didn't know how to handle my emotions. And so I would just suppress them a lot. I remember when I first moved back home from my breakup and I was so emotional and I moved back in with my parents and my two of my brothers were there at the time. We were all having dinner together and I'd seen something that my ex had shared and it really, you know, triggered me. And we just sat down to have dinner and I couldn't like stop, like, I just started crying and nobody knew what to do. Like my brothers like stared at their meal. <laughs> they were like, don't look at her. Like she's crying. And my mom looks at me and she said, do you want to go to your room? And I remember that so clearly because it was this moment of like, nobody knows how to handle emotion. And it's like, because I'm feeling something I should go and hide and fix it and sort it out and come back once it's gone, because this is embarrassing or maybe I should feel embarrassed about it or I should feel ashamed. And I sat there and I let myself be witnessed in those tears and that sadness. And I didn't try and shut it down. And maybe they felt uncomfortable about it, but it was quite like a moment of me just acknowledging and accepting my mess and my emotion and my feeling. Um, so yeah, I would say That's, definitely. I was smiling when you were saying the tantrum bit because that was me as well exact and it was like famous in the family and also like I feel like I was really shamed for it it was like Delia was always throwing tantrums when now I look back on it I'm like that's a fucking four-year-old like <laughs> I'm not gonna like take accountability for like what a four like a four-year-old obviously needed something that's why they were behaving like that um right. but then that's so weird yeah. I had such a similar moment of a breakup or probably many similar moments of just like crying and people do feel so uncomfortable but yeah I had that same at a dinner table but it's like I don't know what you needed in that moment but for me it's like I needed like come you know like support like someone to be like are you okay or like I see you like this like obviously you're in a ton of pain and like that person doesn't need to do anything but just to kind of like acknowledge that you're there and it's okay but I guess yeah it's we're not necessarily taught these things and people don't know how to respond right exactly that yeah that's literally exactly how I felt and I don't know if I really needed anything in that moment other than just like I think I just I just needed to let it out like I needed to stop like hiding that and like pretending that I was okay and that this was not a hurtful situation and you know I was the one who chose the breakup and so I think sometimes when you choose the breakup people think oh well she's gonna be fine because she chose this and it's like no there's still so much feeling here and sadness here and loss here and grief and all of the things so yeah I think I just needed to be witnessed in that moment and <laughs> nobody knew how to do that yeah and then so how did you end up 
in the US? Or what was your path after dance school? Yeah, so I moved to London for a year. And I lived in Shoreditch in this like tiny little flat with two other people. And my bedroom was like the living room. They had to walk through to get to the kitchen. And it was just so exciting at the time I was 19. And I was working in a nightclub and I was also running, I just started my first online business. I was doing like a health and wellness business. And I went to this event and my now ex, he was speaking at the event and we connected and he invited me to go on a date and he was American. And I said, no, I'm like too busy working my business and like doing my life. And he was like, okay, do you want to do like a business event with me? And I was like, yeah, of course, because I was just so focused on business. And so we planned this event and he was supposed to invite people and he didn't invite anybody. So we ended up going on a date and it was just really sweet. And so we went on our first date and we just got on really well. Um, And then, yeah, like we went traveling for like a year and then I ended up moving to New York um, with him. Um, when I was 21 or like just 21, um, maybe 20. Um, what? No, it's 21. Yeah. So what were you motivated by when you moved to London? You were just like, I'm going to figure this out, figure out how to make money or you were really into wellness or how did you end up there? And which nightclub? <sighs> um, well, I moved to London because it was like, okay, I've been dancing. Now I'm going to go to London and start um, doing auditions. So I was doing auditions. I auditioned and got like accepted for Disneyland Paris and like different things and was doing all of that kind of work. But I also just wasn't actually that fulfilled or excited about it. And so I don't think I ever pursued it the way that I should have if I was interested in it that much or the way that I think that I would have if I was because I'm quite self-motivated and the fact that I wasn't like putting myself forward for things was quite alarming um that was my intention going there but never really pursued into anything and I went to the Queen of Hoxton fun what were you doing now (laughs) Well, waitressing, like drinking a lot of tequila, like getting drunk, sleeping with guys, like just being wild and 19. Got it. Sorting myself out. (laughs) Huh. So then was that just kind of an adventure going to the US? Or were you like, were you particularly focused on anything at that point? Or you were like, okay the dance thing isn't working out like let's see where life takes me oh I was just codependent like I was so codependent it was just like him anything that he's doing I'm doing like we're enmeshed at this point like I didn't even have a real sense of self at this point I didn't think at all like oh should I give up my dance career and I was like obvious like you know I've met this man of course I'm gonna like move country give up my entire life be with him um but I didn't know any better at that time and yeah I was highly codependent and highly in love as well like I really loved this man and we had a lot of fun together and we were very happy and so yeah I just was like fuck it like why not and also like great opportunity like move to New York City when do you ever get the opportunity to do that so this is so funny because I also moved to New York when I was 
maybe 21 or 22 also because I was in love with an American guy <laughs> and oh exactly God. as you're explaining like I I think I was studying yeah I was studying engineering but I was like I'm just gonna go there in a gap year and whatever people were like I don't think like people take gap years and live in Manhattan <laughs> um and then I was like okay fine I'll get a job over there but it was it's so funny now in interviews it's like oh how did you like your first job was in New York and it's like yeah because like I was just wanted to move there for a guy and I ended up working finance and that's how it happened like that's just the truth of it (laughs) there was no like I'm so driven to go and work in New York but yeah it was like it's like what a city to move to right yeah and like you know whether you do it intentionally or whether you do it for a guy like nothing is wrong obviously and we learn so much from those things and it's just directing us to I mean it directed you to your career and you know all of that growth and everything that you've had from there and for me it was massive in my own growth and my own understanding and experience and connections and friendships and becoming you know it was my early 20s I spent all of them in in New York and yeah it was monumental for me Mm mm-hmm and is he from New York? No, he's from Las Vegas. Got it. But he was living there. He wasn't. So when I met him, he was still living in Las Vegas. And we li- I moved to Las Vegas for like a couple of months, like on and off because of visa things. And um, then we both decided to move to New York together. So we both moved there and got... We actually lived in an Airbnb for seven months because... We were supposed to just go there for seven months because he was going to gemology school to study like diamonds and gemstones, really cool course. And that was kind of like, we just thought we were going to go for seven months. So we just got this Airbnb and then we ended up loving it. And like you do in New York, I feel like you say, okay, I'm going to leave this year. And then, you know, your lease comes to the end and you're like, okay, just one more year. And so we would do that. And we ended up being there for four years. And then the pandemic hit and that just kind of like uprooted everything. Mm Mm-hmm. And where were you living in New York? So we were living in Queens. So we lived in uh, Long Island City. So we lived right on the riverfront. Cool. Yeah. Okay. And you, like, had a great time in New York, were, like, working and, like, happy as far as you know it. I had a love-hate relationship with New York. I definitely, you know, days where I'd be like, I love living here. This is amazing. You know, the city is full of endless opportunities. I love my friends. I love my lifestyle. I had an online business, so it was very flexible. I was working from cafes with my friends. I was running fun, like yoga events on my rooftop and doing really fun things. And I was traveling quite a lot for work as well to like different states and stuff. And um, I love that, but I I don't know, particularly now, like, I think I, well, it was expensive, of course, so that was, like, stressing me out, and I had this victim mentality towards being there, because I used to say to my ex, which is not okay, I used to be like, you're the only reason I'm here, or um, I'm only doing this for you, and, you know, I don't get to see my family, and, like, I was using him as like blame for so many things and like holding that against him when obviously this is my decision. I'm here. Like nobody's forcing me to do anything. 
And I think that I would like feel resentment towards New York because I wasn't like seeing my family. And so then I would like bring that into my relationship. And that would just cause like a bit of like angst against the city because it wasn't like home and like my family were there and all of that. Yeah. But was your family supportive of you otherwise? Yeah, my family was so supportive. In fact, I never even remember them questioning any of these decisions. Got it. Okay, so then what happened when the pandemic started? So just before the pandemic hit, we came to Portugal, me and my ex, because we were getting married in Portugal. We had our wedding planned. It was supposed to be in June 2020. And so we'd just come to Portugal. We'd finished all of our final details with the wedding planner at the venue and everything. Um, We fly back to New York and the next day the border shut and the pandemic hits. And we soon realized that we would need to postpone our wedding. And so we postponed our wedding to the following year. And that was really upsetting and kind of devastating and just felt painful and like frustrating. And then basically some stuff happened with inside of him and his family and we ended up packing up our flat in New York and moving to Las Vegas so we drove cross country with our dog to Las Vegas and moved into a spare house that his family had there and we lived in the spare house and I really didn't want to go I felt really happy in my New York flat and like safe there and happy there but I didn't have my own voice really at that time to like say no I'm not doing that and so I just did what everybody else told me to do Mm. and I also have this really beautiful quality of making any situation great and so I was like okay if I'm gonna be in Las Vegas I'm not gonna sit here and be mad about it I'm gonna like make the best of the situation so we redecorated the house that we were in or some of it like got like nicer furniture and made it feel like a home. I got a job because I didn't know anybody there. So I was like, okay, if I get a job, I'll meet some people and then hopefully I'll have some friends and I'm not just like in the house all the time. And I just needed to like get out of the house. So I got this job, even though I really didn't necessarily need it. And I ended up like really creating a nice fun lifestyle. And he kind of depleted in the opposite way and his mental health like went down. Mm. And so I would come home from work like joyous and happy and motivated and excited about life. And I was working on all of these new passion projects. I launched my own online. um, Well, it was a physical product shop, but I was just running it online. And I launched a shop called With Meraki and it was all about like intentional products and ceramics and that I'd sourced from like independent artists. And I was creating this big brand about it and like running online events to like market it and collaborating with people and running virtual meditations and stuff. And so I would come home from my job and be excited to work on that. But as I would walk in the door, he would be you know, negative and would have had a bad day. And now I understand that he was struggling with depression and um, other things. And I would just like decline, like it just would really affect me. Mm. And so then I started like questioning different things, um, whether I wanted to be in the States anymore, if I wanted to live in England, if I wanted to be close to my family, if I wanted to do any of these businesses that I'd done before, that I'd created if I wanted to be in this relationship 
and that question of like do I want to be in this relationship was the deeper question and everything else I was like using to avoid that question and that decision um like it wasn't about whether I want to be in the states or in England but that's what I would like only bring to the table because that's what felt safest and actually addressing the fact that I don't want to be in this relationship anymore this isn't fully fulfilling to me anymore or doesn't feel resonant for me anymore was the scariest thing because of my codependency and I kind of just felt like without him without this life that we'd created who am I like I didn't see my own gifts in that moment I didn't see my own worth I didn't see like how every place that I'd been I'd always created something beautiful like I always thought that that was because of him and so having to address that feeling or that conflicting feeling of like do I stay in this relationship or not was really really scary and really intense and really painful um and so we we had a few discussions about it which took me like every ounce of courage that I had to even discuss it with him after even having the courage to discuss it with myself and then I came back to England for he he suggested which I actually thought was really great he was like why don't you just go home for like six weeks see if you're homesick and maybe you just need to be with family for a bit and then come back and we you know we can see what's what's here and I did that I went home for like uh three weeks and then I came to Portugal my dad lives here um I'm currently in Portugal and I was here for 10 days I think and then I went to Mallorca and I had this desire and I'd been working really with a coach with two coaches about understanding what desire is and reconnecting to my desire and reconnecting to my feminine energy and reconnecting to my truth and using my voice more and also like my sensuality um which had all been very suppressed for my you know most of my life and I had this desire come through and it was like go to Mallorca and I don't know where it came from I just kept seeing all the signs to go to Mallorca I'd never seen Mallorca like this much before and I told my ex and he was like, why would you go to Mallorca? Like we're in the middle of a pandemic. Like you shouldn't just be flying around to different countries and, you know, everyone's staying at home. Like this is so irrational and irresponsible. And that's the thing with desire, that desire isn't about like what's the most safe and strategic thing to do. It's about what's in your heart and like what are you being called towards? And it doesn't always make sense. And it's often very conflicting and very painful and questionable. And I kind of suppressed the desire a little bit. And then I was on the phone with my dad one day and he says to me, he's like, oh, whilst you're here, do you fancy going to Parma, which is in Mallorca? He was like, why don't we go to Parma for like four days? We could go on a little getaway trip, have a little holiday. And I was like, I cannot believe that you just said that. Like it was the wildest thing. And also it was this moment of permission for me to follow my desire because as I was building up my own voice and my own courage to make a stand for myself, I didn't have that fully yet. And so the fact that my dad had initiated us to go to Mallorca felt a little bit more acceptable. And so I said, yes. 
And on the back of the trip with my dad to Mallorca, I stayed for another six days by myself. And I paid for it by myself. I planned it by myself. I made friends. I drove. I like stayed in this really nice place. I did lots of things that I wanted to do. And that was my six days of liberation of like, holy shit, like I can trust myself. I can trust my desire. I can back myself. I can afford to do things like I'm the one that makes things fun. Like I create really great experiences for myself and I can count on myself and it makes me like so emotional just to like share that because I didn't I didn't have that courage or that understanding or that perspective of myself and I still didn't know after that trip whether I was going to go back and be in my relationship in fact every part of me wanted me to arrive back in Las Vegas and everything just be okay and like me see my ex and be like oh my god what was I even thinking about of course I love you like let's create a life together but it was the opposite of that like as soon as I saw him it was like it's over like I just felt it fully in my body and the next day we broke up and that was just tumultuous and painful um and yeah I'll stop there because that was a lot (laughs) (laughs) um yeah I was just gonna say on that week oh yeah so Mallorca which is now you're moving there amazing yeah um but yeah that week I feel like for some people they might listen to that and be like I don't get it what's the big deal like spending a week on your own and set for you as well because it's like you've moved like countries you've done all this like you've traveled a lot for me it was like the exact same like to do something on my own for myself like spend the money for myself like make decisions for myself was the most terrifying thing and as in it's like this irrational fear and people like totally don't get it because they're like I thought you're super independent and like you live overseas but it's I think it's that when you've always kind of been in a relationship and you've always maybe as well, it's been modeled to you that women are always like dependent on someone else. Someone else is paying for them. Someone else is helping make decisions like to actually do it on your own is so empowering. And like, yeah, I don't know. For me, it was just like my like inner child it's just like so much fear like it doesn't trust that I can do it and then it's like showing that it can and you're just like creating this amazing relationship with yourself oh my god 100% yeah it's it's really you know I did the same like I traveled so much but mostly for work or to like visit family and this was just like I have the intuitive pull to go there, not for work, not for profit, not for um, a reason not to visit anybody, but purely for desire and pleasure. And to give that to yourself and to be like, sorry, that's a little motivated there. <laughs> um, to give that to yourself and to, yeah, just let yourself revel in something. It's like so liberating and... Yeah, I just remember, like, it sounds so simple, but I remember, like, being on the beach, and I was obviously by myself, and I, I like to think that I have, like, open energy, (laughs) and, like, I feel magnetic a lot of the time, and 
you know, there was this couple there and I just smiled at them. Oh no, this woman had really nice earrings. And I was like, I really like your earrings. And she was like, oh my God, thank you so much. And then we got talking and next minute me and her, like we went cliff jumping and the act of like jumping off the cliff was so relevant to the, the period that I was on in my life. And for me, I had always had all of these desires to do things, but I needed so much encouragement of somebody to like push me. Like I would say to my ex or to my parents or to people like, oh, I really want to do, and I still do this now. I'm like, oh, I really want to do X, Y, Z. And rather than me like initiating myself into doing that thing and pursuing that thing and making it happen, I would need my ex to be like, okay, well, let's plan it and let's put it together and or like hold my hand like every step of the way. And it was like, okay, nobody's doing that for me in this moment. I'm doing that. I'm saying like, this is what I want to do. Okay, so you want to do it. So what does that look like? Let's book the first thing. Let's choose the next thing. Let's make the conversation. Let's jump off the cliff. Like, let's get in the car, like just so many different things where it wasn't anyone else holding my hand. It was like me with me pursuing things for me. And I think that's what was most liberating about it. Amazing. And so what was that like after the breakup then when you'd kind of trusted yourself of like, this is not my path and I'm going to like yeah jump off this cliff how yeah how were how was like the following year after that excruciating like so painful very conflicting you know like there would be moments where I'm like I'm so proud of myself and I had so much support I thankfully had a coach and I had a therapist and I have a beautiful family who were all making a stand for my happiness like they all loved my ex and they loved our relationship and our relationship was not awful and to leave it I was really nervous that they'd be all mad at me like they'd be like what are you doing are you crazy like what's going on and they just kept saying to me that your happiness is the most important thing to do whatever's going to make you happy and you know in that year there was a lot of happiness. I did a lot of fun things, but there was a lot of sadness. And there was a lot of times where I was like, what am I doing? Like, what have I done? Because I had gone from living in this luxury apartment in New York City, planning my dream destination wedding and like having all of these friends flying in from all over the country, having our dog together, being in this like from the outside, beautiful relationship, everything that I was taught growing up that you should have on paper I was accomplishing we were planning on you know probably getting our first house after the wedding probably having a baby the next year and I'd given all that up and next thing I'm living in my childhood bedroom in my parents house given up my business like I had basically barely any income coming in I did I'd spent all of my money on moving back to the states and getting my dog to come back with me and I just was really starting from scratch and I was really lost. And so there was definitely these feelings of like, why the hell would you do that? Like, why would you leave this on paper great life? Because you have this other desire to be, ultimately, I didn't share this, but I knew that something was off in the relationship, but I had this desire to be single. I really wanted to be single and I really wanted to date. <laughs> 
and I know exactly why now but like at the time it didn't make sense because I was in you know I was due to get married why do I now want to be single and like date and I was 25 when this was happening for context and although I had that desire I also had this like massive fear of what if I'm single forever or you know I should probably start having children by the time I'm 28 and so like if I stay on this trajectory like I'm going to be on track and I'm going to do what society approves of and like I'm going to have it all figured out and it's going to be all golden and shiny and beautiful from you know standard ticking boxes and so yeah that year was a lot of me like really holding myself and trusting in God and building a relationship with God and spirituality and desire and intuition and um getting to know myself better and that's when I discovered breathwork that's why I started doing breathwork regularly every single week that's when I did my breathwork training certification and I think that I needed that period of time that I spent a lot of time in the dark, like in my childhood bedroom, like sleeping and crying and holding myself and breathing and taking my dog for long walks in the countryside and on the beach and just being surrounded by family. I needed all of that time to just pause and breathe and stop and bring like a lot of awareness to patterns and behaviors that I had that hadn't served me up until this point. And if I'd have, and I mean, there's so much that I could share on this of like my codependency, because this is where it started to become really present for me. Um, but yeah, that year was just intense and like felt really slow at the same time. <laughs> As in codependent patterns with family yep and in in terms of relating with men I my first awareness of my codependency was I was living back at home and I mean I should have become already aware of my codependency because of this breakup and the whole relationship but I couldn't see that because when you're codependent you usually can't see things because you're in denial my first awareness was I had I was in this group coaching program and they had a retreat happening in LA in April and I really wanted to go and I was also running the social media for this company and I was on the phone with them one night and I was like oh, I really have this desire to go and their whole coaching program is about like making a stand for your desire and they're like well why can't you go like what's stopping you like I literally couldn't ask my parents to like look after my dog for me or like I was so afraid of telling them that I was thinking about going on a retreat because like one I probably shouldn't be spending money because I'm making not very much money at the moment Two, like should I be really flying to America in the middle of the pandemic um and I was unvaccinated and they were all vaccinated and like we had just had different perspective on that and there was just like a lot of fear around things and so it was just like I didn't dare tell them because I codependently was so afraid of their judgment on me and their, that they might shame me or think that this is, you know, stupid to do and that I'm dumb and all of this. And my coach just looked at me and she said, it sounds like this is codependency. And I was like, oh, really? Because I didn't understand codependency at the time. And she suggested that I go to like a codependence anonymous 12-step program. 
and I was so confronted by that idea and I ended up going to this retreat and I ended up starting Codependence Anonymous in that November so November 2021 and I've been going every week ever since and I have a sponsor and I've worked the steps and that's been a whole nother revelation in and of itself but that's when I became aware of my codependency with my parents and then from there I started noticing my codependency that was playing out in friendships in relationships in dating and in work in every hour of my life really Oh, it's so interesting because, yeah, I had similar, like, codependent patterns, but, of course, like, had no idea. I remember the first time one of my best friends sent me this, like, definition of codependency, and she was like, yeah, I think you might be codependent. This is what it is. And I was like, no, 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 that's definitely not me. And it's just like you slowly realize like oh hang on a sec but then as you break the pattern it's crazy to look at other people who were doing similar things like as you describe um in the examples at the start but also stuff like yeah like needing their parents approval like they want to like quit their job and they're like 30 years old but they are like having an argument with their parents about it but yeah. And it's like they need it from their parents. Like they they must have their parents agree that it's the right decision when it's like it's not their life. Like you're 30, like you get to make this. Like, of course, ask for their advice. And like, of course, you want your parents to be proud of you and to like feel supported by the people around you. But it's this like grasping thing that it's like, you know, or needing like your parents, like just way too much involvement from them about, stuff that it's like why are you telling them that detail of like an intimate relationship you have or something like that and then as well with dating it's so classic when you see those patterns and you're like oh my god that used to be me like yeah making up like obsessing over someone or making up a story and from the outside it's like no like (laughs) it's very it's very hard to tell someone because yeah if they don't have awareness of it uh it's just hard to get through so I guess for you in coaching it's like your people are at the point when they realize it's a problem yeah usually when you begin like if you're hiring a coach or if you're going to a program like a 12-step program or you know you're working with a therapist on this you've usually got to the point of I've tried doing things by myself and it's not working like I'm not getting any further along with it And maybe, you know, you're listening to this and you're feeling the same way. And that's why you're like listening to a podcast and you're looking for advice and steps and understanding of how you can break your codependency or you can become a better person. And doing it alone is really challenging because you have no accountability and because you've been living out these patterns all your life and you've been taught by your parents or by family or by society that this is the right thing to do. And so that's just what you're doing. And so you don't know any different. So you need somebody to reflect back to you and be like, hey, look, this pattern or this belief that you need to show up in a certain way or that you think that this is you being helpful is not actually true. Like you're doing this for other other reasons, underlying factors. And it's in those moments, in those reflections from a coach or from 
you know a support group or from a friend even where you can be like oh shit like that just felt so normal to me because that's been my behavior for my entire life and then once you have that awareness then you can choose something different but again like if you don't know any different you need somebody to kind of guide you and be like this is what you can do instead this is safe for you to do this is allowed for you to do and I think in my practice particularly it's you know we incorporate breath into that because your nervous system gets into that fight or flight state when it's so fearful to make the comment or choose yourself or go against what your parents said or speak up um, a desire in dating which are a boundary or any of those things if that feels really unsafe for you using your breath just to regulate and come back to yourself and be like it's okay for me to do this it's safe for me to do this like I'm I'm supported in this decision or in these words and using that is where the healing happens and every time you do something and you break a pattern it becomes a little bit easier to do it the next time that that pattern arises because you have the awareness and because you have the evidence that you survived when you broke the pattern before Mm. yeah because for a lot of it I feel I feel like that's or like a super common pattern and that kind of everyone seems to be aware of is this like grasping thing in dating when someone like yeah they're holding on to I mean I feel like it can be quite obvious from the outside that it's like okay that person isn't interested or like if they were or they're not worth your time <laughs> yeah like the film he's not that into you but it's kind of like it's either like like he's or it's like whatever it is his behavior isn't good enough or whoever the person is like their behavior like the way you are suffering right now is like like you deserve so much more than that to be stuck in this situation but for the person it's like actual life or death it's like I need to know like we this date needs to happen that they're like suddenly not responding to me or like I need to know that they think this way you know and then it's like all the analysis like getting everyone to read the text like what do you think like how do you think he feels about me or she or whoever and it's like yeah it's like trying to get this need met from outside when actually it's like that's why also because if people can't access therapy or coaching or whatever or that sounds like so scary it's like you know your videos and there's lots of resources out there like books and whatever that explains these things and then you kind of get comfort from that from that video and yeah some of your videos like reminding people that it comes from I mean obviously you can explain it way better but it it's like it comes from within like whatever you're seeking from outside it's like you need to give that to yourself like why is your worth dependent on whether this guy replies to your text it's like what's that about yeah oh my god I just I'm like not laughing but had a little laugh because I empathize with this pattern so much this has been a huge one for me where I can sit for hours in the cycle of like you know doing something and then picking up my phone if they messaged yet doing something picking up or like sat on my phone jumping from app to app like trying to like seeing if they've messaged yet and I'm like lost in this place of waiting for the next hit to come waiting for that message to come through. And as soon as the message comes through, I would have this sense of relief of like, okay, I'm safe again. Like he's still into me. 
And if the message didn't come or in that space of waiting for the message, it would be like, oh my God, am I unlovable? Am I unbeautiful? Am I undesirable? Like, am I always going to be single? Am I a mess? Like, what did I say that made him not like me anymore? Like, what was, was my outfit not good enough? Like, all of those thoughts that would cycle through my head in that in-between was exactly what I needed to look at. And that was my medicine that was needed to be like, okay, so I'm sitting in low self-worth. Ultimately, codependency is low self-worth because you're disrespecting yourself. You're not seeing your value. And so that's what you're saying with like it being so obvious that somebody's not into you, but you're still attached onto them and you're trying to manipulate them into believing that you're the greatest person and that they should definitely be with you. And whether they think it or see it or not, and whether they're actually the person that you even want to be with, which is probably not, <laughs> if you're 100% honest with yourself, you're, if you were able to be fully clear, which is the goal to get into a state of awareness, into a state of regulation, to such a state of self-worth, you would be able to see this person be like, is that the kind of guy that I want to be in a relationship with? Is he showing up for me in the ways that I want to be provided for? And clearly he's not if, if, you know, he's not doing all of those things that we're, we're kind of talking about briefly here. Um, then you get to make that decision. And when you're not anxiously attached and when you're in a state of healthy codependency, you're able to be like, okay, I love myself enough. I value myself enough to walk away from this because I trust that I can have what it is that I desire. And I value myself so much that I'm willing to walk away from something that isn't that in the faith that I can have something that is. And even if I don't end up with that thing, I'm not going to sit here and stay in that cycle of like, is he into me? Can I manipulate him? Can I control him? Because your nervous system is going to get absolutely shot and you're so deserving of being grounded and calm and magnetic and in your own confidence and in your own state of certainty and stability and groundedness in in your value and so every time we give that away to somebody else and what I say a lot in my videos and work is whenever you put somebody else on a pedestal so you're saying your mom has all of the opinions or all of the right answers or this guy if he loves you then you're lovable if your friend invites you to the disco on Saturday night then you must be a good friend or cool enough like every time we make somebody else's actions or decisions higher than our own or if they do something then we are we put somebody above ourselves and nobody is above you and nobody is below you we're all just equal human beings who are living out you know our behaviors and our patterns and our beliefs and all of that and so it's really about coming back into yourself and being like what do I need to remind myself what's my truth what am I deserving of what am I what am I capable of? What am I forgetting right now? And can I remind myself that and just come back into center? And so what was that process like for you breaking those patterns? Like, did you have to go through lots of dating situations? Mm -hmm. So the reason why I said that, you know, I had this desire to be single and to date and at the time, it made absolutely no sense. But now it makes so much sense because it was through dating that I have, I'm not definitely not, not codependent because I think, well, codependency is a disease. It's an addiction. And like, 
with substance where you're addicted to alcohol with codependency you're addicted to people so like you're getting your high by somebody messaging you or by you know somebody liking you or by somebody valuing you or approving of you and so it's an actual addiction and so I don't think that I'll ever be fully non-codependent and you know it always feels good for somebody to give you a compliment anyway and I do I think that that's part of human nature to receive that and it's a human need um but my journey with dating has really really helped me heal my behaviors with putting men on pedestals with being in denial about the truth of situations with like actually saying oh no I'm not free tonight because I already have plans whereas in the past I'd just give up all my plans and like if he's free I'm free and just so many different behaviors like I this is really embarrassing (laughs) but when I first left my relationship I immediately jumped into dating because of my attachment with men and because I put so much of my value in if I'm in a relationship then I must be lovable and then I must be desirable and if I'm not then like oh my god I must be ugly I must be uncool I must you know just all of these things and so I immediately looked to men to fill that void again and there was this one time when I was in my hometown and I was chatting with this guy and I would drive around my hometown hoping to bump into him like I would literally go to where I knew that he was potentially going to be working that day and like maybe I'd accidentally bump into him I would like drive by his house like multiple times a day because maybe he might see me and he might remember that I'm like cool and like beautiful and it might remind him to message me and I would like look on Facebook and see like when he was last active and like make all of my judgments about myself based upon him responding to me or like initiating things And I was just in denial about his availability and making all of his availability mean something about me, you know? And that's just like not the case at all. I do not chase after men ever anymore. I'm able to willingly express my feelings and my desires and be able to say, you know, I'm really into you and not pretend that I'm not and not play this like cool girl, like game going on of, oh, well, you know, play hard to get um but I also don't give up my own needs and my own desires and my own boundaries with inside of relating with men because I respect and value myself enough to make myself my own priority and honestly doing that anyway has made me have the most abundant beautiful intimate relationships with men way beyond anything that I have ever experienced or knew about and just viewing, you know, relating and dating in such a different, such a different light. And then your life must be so much more fulfilled as well, right? Because then you're, like, when you shift, I feel like at the start, you might, you know, you kind of have to fake it. It's like, okay, you can't be available all the time. You have to have other stuff on. But then when you're like, actually, like, (laughs) this is what I care about, the other stuff, like my career, like my interests, my friends, and it's, no longer like you're faking it it's just like oh wow my life is like so full and like men are a great part of it but they're not the entire thing that everything depends on right yeah exactly there's just a lot more calm and like serenity than the chaos that I used to put myself through but I I kind of 
was addicted to the chaos at the same time, you know, like that's just the game that I knew. And so that's what I thought it needed to look like. And I felt like if I didn't have to fight for some man's attention, then like, what's the point? (laughs) I would, I didn't know that it's okay. Like if somebody was interested in me, like healthy interest, I would make them wrong because I was so used to having to fight for somebody's love and attention that when somebody was just giving it to me, it felt like they must be weird or there must be something wrong with him or like, why would he want to do this? And it was me having to learn to actually learn to receive love and attention and acceptance and holding and all of that as well. And yeah, definitely like there's a lot more peace in my life and presence in my life. And it's not now like either a man or friends in a career. It's now like, oh, I have friends in a career. And like if there is somebody who I'm into or I want to pursue, I can bring that in without like completely losing everything else and everything else going like off the rails. Mm -hmm. And what do you feel is the most powerful way that you're able to help your clients? I think because of my journey with codependency I do not rescue my clients so I think what makes a good coach is somebody who like actually says it how it is with love and compassion of course but I won't sit there and like rescue my clients, you know, if they're like, oh, he did this and he said that and I'm blah, blah, blah. I am willing to not be like the friend and like the constant rescuer who what we're all used to, which is the friend who's like, oh, well, you know, yeah, he's wrong. And like, you're going to be okay. And like, you've done nothing wrong. And like, who is he to do this? And blah, blah, blah. I will sit there and hold that person to taking a look at their side of things and being able to reflect and hold them through recognizing that and doing so with such love and compassion towards themselves. So it's not from a place of shame and judgment, but it's a place of like, wow, if I can take radical self-responsibility, then I get to create serenity and peace and excitement and pleasure and joy and love in my life. But Every single time when I'm still putting the blame outside of me or I'm pointing fingers, I'm never going to make the progress that I want because I'm not looking, my client or myself is not looking at our part in things. So I think what makes me a good coach is my willingness to not be like just fluff, but actually reflect back the truth or what I'm seeing in somebody's behavior or pattern and Sometimes we just need that like loving holding and somebody to be brutally honest with us. Um, And I also will say like, I think one of the things that I am really good at as a coach or a friend or yeah, a family member is acceptance. Like I have had to give myself so much acceptance, like, moving through stuff and like not shaming myself for actions that I've done or lies that I've told or behaviors like me driving around trying to find this guy and just like not being like oh my god I'm so dumb or that's so you know ugly but just being like oh my god I love the little girl in me who was so hurt and like so badly wanted to be loved and 
I can like bring acceptance to myself. And because I've done that so much, like anything that anybody tells me in session in breath work and, you know, personal life, I would never like laugh or shame or judge somebody. It's just like, thank you for sharing with me. Like, I'm so grateful that I can be a safe enough space for you to let that out and clear that out because that's all we need most of the time is just to have a place to admit something and be met with love. And that's where most of the healing happens. Um, and so I would like to say that I'm really good at that. And I do feel like I hold space for a lot of acceptance for people. Um, yeah. And are you generally pretty fortunate with clients who are willing to look at themselves and do the work and like whilst being guided and accepting the compassion and everything from you, but they, cause I feel like that's the thing I would struggle <laughs> the most if I was a coach, if it's like someone's, I mean, I guess they're paying the money. So it's like, otherwise they're kind of just wasting their own time. Right. If they're not going to do the work. Right. There needs to be, that's why you pay for a coach because you've got to have some kind of stake in the ground. But not only that, we usually when somebody's coaching, they've decided that they want to create change. And we'll have a look at the beginning of coaching together. Like, where are you at right now? And like, how would you like your life to look like? And what do you desire in your life? Like, if you're fully honest and what's not working, let's take a look at that. So if they have a clear enough motivation of like where they want to get to and what they desire, then looking at yourself and taking radical responsibility becomes a little bit easier. But I think as a coach or a friend or anybody, it's remembering that I'm not in control of somebody else's outcome. Like I can only reflect back. I can only hold space. I cannot do the work for that person. And so I detach myself from the results that they get because ultimately that's not my plan. That's God's plan. That's their plan. Like they're on their own journey. And whether that means that they change one behavior in this time that we work together or whether they change their complete life, like that's good enough and that's beautiful and that's exactly what was needed in this time together and you know I actually find that so much of the coaching and the awareness comes from the practice that you're in in yourself you know like noticing where am I am I avoiding coming to the call okay what else am I avoiding in my life if I'm numbing out by you know eating before the call or like feeling like I need to be doing something constantly why am I also doing that in my own life? And so, so much of the the talking, you know, if somebody's lying to me on the call and they become aware of that, like, where else are you lying in your life? Like, if you're not feeling comfortable to share your truth with me, where else are you not feeling comfortable to share your truth? So the the call and the process together gets to be um, an initiation into the awareness of why this is also happening in their everyday life. Mm, so interesting. And yeah, I I think I heard you say that on another podcast about you were asking for someone's advice or someone you were working with that it was like you wanted the answer from them, like should you end this relationship? And then you're so grateful that they didn't give you an answer because then you could have blamed them. And I think that's how it, that's so often how it goes with this advice thing that especially with the guy, you know, the guy and the text and people give advice like, oh no, like you should just text him again. And like, I'm sure, you know, and that something like as simple as that to way bigger things, it's like, 
it's like taking, you know, you're not taking the responsibility. You're not listening to your inner voice or to whatever your intuition or to sit with the discomfort and take accountability for like, no, this is my life. Like it's like, of course, again, like get advice from people, talk it through with people, but they can't make decisions for you. And often it is, especially with guys, it's like the worst advice. They're like, yeah, text him again. And then you're like, I so regret sending that text message. Oh my God, seriously. Like I'm the friend who is like not available for bullshit. Like I'm not going to tell you, oh, he was probably busy or like, you know, oh, I probably didn't mean that. I'm like, that's exactly what, you know, what he said is what he's meant. So like, let's, you know, it doesn't mean anything about you because so often we're trying to protect our friend's feelings, right? We're like, oh, he probably didn't text you because he's doing something for work. And so like, it's not about you because you're amazing and you're beautiful. Well, we already know that, right? We already know that our friends are beautiful and amazing. And maybe this guy isn't into them. And maybe that's the reality. And that's okay. It doesn't mean that she isn't now beautiful and deserving and all of those things. Just because this one guy isn't into her, he might just have different preferences. The same as like, I have different preferences in men. You know, I might meet one man and it's not my type of guy or like his interests don't align with mine or our values are different. doesn't mean that he's not a bad, it doesn't mean he's a bad person, right? So we've got to remember that in our own perspective in dating. And just going back to your point about, um, me wanting my friend to give me the answer of like whether to leave the relationship or not. I just love that that situation so much because it is such evidence of codependency of, okay, well, you know, me valuing somebody else's opinion or judgment or perspective over my own. And we've got to remember that, you know, I've lived with myself for 28 years. I've maybe known my friend for five years. And out of those five years, they've spent, 40 hours with me you know like they don't know me they don't know my feelings they don't know my reaction they don't know my needs they don't know my pain they don't know my triggers they don't know all of those things that's going on all of the thoughts that are going on inside they don't know the full situation they only know the highlights that I've told them from this dynamic and that's why it's got to come back to you like sitting with yourself and being like what feels right for me like how how does this feel in my body am I feeling good about this can I trust my intuition can I lean into that can I value my own judgment and strengthening that over time and yeah then you can't blame your friends and you're taking again taking radical responsibility because you're the one who's going to have to live with that decision and for the rest of your life so you might as well sit with yourself and make the decision that feels right for you amazing okay before we wrap up, where what are you up to now and where can people find you or find out more? Yeah, um, so I currently have spacing for codependency coaching. So if you are looking for a coach, if you maybe recognize yourself in some of these behaviors or these topics that we've just spoken about and you're like, okay, I'm ready to work through that and actually come back into connection with myself and start changing these behaviors and cultivating healthy relationships then you can reach out to me I coach people for 12 weeks minimum and we dive into all of this stuff and see what's not working or you can come to my breathwork sessions I run like a virtual breathwork session every single month and I also do private one-on-one breathwork sessions and they're really powerful because 
you get to feel through things. So if talking isn't right for you, like if you don't want to address things, sometimes we can just shift it somatically by feeling and emoting and expressing through your body, which is exactly what breathwork is. And if you feel like you don't have clarity around like what's not working and where you're stuck and you just feel stagnant in your energy or in your space or in your life, breathwork can help you get more clarity and just move through some of that. So you can find all of that on my website or on my Instagram, on my TikToks. Which I'll put the links below. Or it's yeah, perfect. It's your it's Danielle Haddon com right yeah with two ends yeah my website is com and then my instagram is danielle hatton with two ends at the end amazing okay last three questions unless you have anything else to add no fire at me how do you stay grounded remembering that everything is not in my control Honey, I'm in my control. And do you, like, remind yourself of that daily? Yeah. Yeah, whenever I'm feeling uprooted, whenever I'm trying to, like, control an outcome or I feel myself chaotic, it's, like, come back to my body, breathe, remember that I'm not in control of everything. I'm only in control of this present moment. So what am I choosing to believe or see or do in this moment? that's most supportive for me also always be on the ground obviously is there a book that's had a big impact on you oh my god so I just finished reading women who love too much did I tell you about this book maybe someone's told me about it recently oh or maybe god. it's been in the whatsapp so group. good maybe I actually I have probably like 30 pages left but it's been really interesting for me. It's basically about codependency. And yeah, just so fascinating to understand your behaviors based back to your childhood. But the whole concept is about women who love too much, which from her perspective means losing yourself in relationship and really trying to control a man Um to be something that he isn't and then what happens most of the time is that when that man becomes what it is that you desire or what you've been trying to make him be in the first place you're no longer interested because you no longer have somebody to help and your whole life's motive has been about like helping somebody and finding a man who's a project who needs you and when you when they no longer need you in that element in that way you're then like this is rubbish like this is unfulfilling so that's been really interesting for me. I see a lot of the stuff, some of the things, some of the behaviors in myself and a lot of them in, in, in my clients. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah. There's so, so much in this podcast has come up that I'm like, it's so familiar in my life, but I'm like, okay, this podcast episode is not about me. Um, like even the trip, you going to Mallorca, like my first like little mini solo trip breaking it myself was to Menorca so not quite the same but oh my god (laughs) Um, we need to like have a proper chat yeah okay last question what three words describe the best version of you oh I always say golden like I always feel like I'm 
golden and like when I feel like in my heart center I like to feel like gold light um so I say golden um I would say courageous I think I'm very courageous in like putting myself out there taking leaps taking risks backing myself and I think the third word um I would say playful. I think I'm very playful. Like, I love to have fun. I'm very, like, giddy. I love to just make things silly and, like, not take things too seriously. I think, obviously, my work is very deep and emotional and intense. And I love to bring light to that. Just being like, okay, look at us go. Here we are doing the same thing again. Like, let's make it light and, like, playful. Um, I love to, obviously, dance around and just be silly and not yeah not take myself too seriously amazing thank you so much thank you this was so fun I feel like I've just discovered so many things about myself through sharing so thank you so much for having me and if you listen thank you so much for listening I hope that this was of service in some way yeah I feel like 80% of what you said could be turned into TikToks to like massively help people like if I'm just like oh my god this is so good 